therefore doing entrepreneurial ABCs was to systematically go through the alphabet of what is important for entrepreneurs and we're going to kick it off with A is for authenticity and therefore I got my friend <laughs> Joe Pine to do this. He's doing me a very, very nice favor. Thank you, Joe. And my trying out this new technology. Uh, Joe is the, the co-author actually of Authenticity, uh, what consumers really want. And he has a lot of good information for us. Uh, for those of you on the call, I'm going to actually give you also a bonus. I'm going to send a follow-up presentation. Uh, uh, Joe, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, that's a deep subject, or <laughs> at least a long ago one. Um, I started off as a ver as a um, consult or as a technology guy uh, with IBM and uh, uh, moved into uh, strategy, into consulting and teaching, and started my own firm about, uh, uh, how long ago is that now, 14, 13 years ago, 14 years ago? Uh, no, 17 years ago. And uh, ever since, I've been working with companies to, to really create economic value uh, for their businesses. Uh, and that's what I focus on, and uh, you know, starting with mass customization, then shifting to the experience economy, and then to um, uh, authenticity is the latest work that my uh, partner Jim Gilmore and I have come up with. Okay, Joe, why don't we start with experience economy because authenticity grew out of that. Uh, can you just outline what, ex what the, the basic uh, paradigm of experience economy entails? Well, what, um, what the experience economy talks about is the very fundamental change that has go on, going, gone on in the fabric of the economy, uh, where in the beginning were commodities, things that grow in the ground, um, pull out of the ground, or raise in the ground, you know, animal, mineral, vegetable. Then you extract them out of the ground and sell them on the open marketplace. And uh, you know, the commodities were the basis of the agrarian economy that lasted for millennia. But then, thanks to the Industrial Revolution, we shifted into an, a, an industrial economy based off goods, the physical, tangible things that we touch and feel, uh, where companies use commodities as a raw material to make or manufacture those goods. In the 20th century, we shifted into a service economy where um, uh, people now use goods as the raw material to deliver a set of intangible activities on behalf of an individual person. That's what, that's what a service is. And what we've seen, though, is that uh, first goods and then services have, have both become commoditized, meaning they're treated like a commodity, where people don't care who makes them, don't care about the brand, they don't care about the features. They're all pretty much the same anyway. You know, they end up caring about uh, price and only price. That's when something's been commoditized. And so what that means is that goods and services are no longer enough, that goods and services are everywhere becoming mere commodities. So it's time to move to a new level of economic value and that's what the experience is all about. And, and experiences are a distinct economic offering, as distinct from services as services are from goods. They're basically when you use goods as props and services as the stage to engage each and every person in an inherently personal way and uh, create a memory inside of them, which is the, the hallmark of the experience. So, so today, Laurie, we're basically um, entering into an experience economy where experiences are becoming the, the predominant economic offering. Right. Now, as the, in the experience economy, can you uh, 
I don't know which one you want to use as your as your you're probably so tired of talking about coffee, but it's really the <laughs> probably the best the best example of of breaking down the experience economy for most people. Can you right, well, yeah. exemplify through the the four phases of the experience economy how the coffee experience? Yeah, yeah coffee is a great example. Yeah, coffee is a great example that uh, travels around the world easily because people drink coffee all over the world. Um, and, and the thing I always point out is that coffee at its core is what? It's, it's a commodity. It's beans. And you know it's a commodity because you can actually look at the future price of coffee uh, in the financial newspaper every morning. And if you pay attention to it, you'll know it's going up at the moment because that's what commodities do. They go up and they go down. But if you convert it from a per ton to per cup basis, uh, what, do you, what you get when you treat coffee as a commodity is basically two, three, four cents per cup. That's all coffee is worth. But if you take those beans and now you grind them, roast them, package them, put them on a grocery store shelf, you can get five, ten, fifteen cents per cup of coffee. If you surround, or if you if you take those roasted beans now and actually perform the service of brewing them for coffee in a vending machine, in a kiosk, a corner diner, or a bodega somewhere. You can get uh, 50 cents to a buck, a buck, or I should uh, say a dollar, a dollar, a dollar fifty per cup of coffee. But if you surround the brewing of that coffee with the ambiance and theater of a Starbucks, for example, now you get two, three, four, five dollars for a cup of coffee. So you've got one basic industry, one entity, but four distinct um, levels of value depending on what business you think you're in—a commodity, a good, a service, or and experience. Okay. Now, would you say that as we stage experiences, Starbucks inclusive, uh, Starbucks also started to lose a little bit of its market, and that was because of the issue that we're talking about today, that they well, started not connecting to their authenticity, or, or is that uh, misunderstood on my end? Well, no. I, th I mean, I, think, I don't think there's any company in the world that more explicitly manages uh, it's perception of authenticity than Starbucks. You know, from the very beginning, it's done, uh, it, it, it's done that explicitly. It's actually done a very good job. But the problem is, is that ubiquity is the death knell of authenticity. And, and that's what's happened to Starbucks. Well, I mean, well, a couple other things we can point out. But they, they have become basically ubiquitous. You see them everywhere. You see them around the world. You can go into some big cities and see uh, two across the street from each other, even three and a quarter. And... Um, it, it basically says that, hey, these, these people are everywhere. They are now mass. It's, it's, um, you know, it's ubiquitous. And so that lessens the authenticity that they have. And people tend to say, well, what about this local coffee um, uh, house? Maybe I should go support my local coffee house in that, which is, which is a part of authenticity as well. Starbucks has also not done a good job of constantly refreshing the experience and, and doing things as everybody else has, has caught up with it. They've also done some particular things that commoditize themselves, like, like you know, putting their coffee in uh, uh, on United Airlines. I mean, any brand, you know, no brand should ever put their, 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 their brand in the hands of an airline because <laughs> they'll just screw it up. Um, so, so there has been a, a real problem with Starbucks in that regard. You know, they've also done things that specifically counteract their authenticity, like going to more machine, more technology, you know, printing out little labels uh, to put on cups in some busy locations rather than asking your name and handwriting them uh, on the cups. 
uh, instead of making espresso and coffee from scratch every time they use machines and they store it. And, and so the authenticity of it has lessened. That's why when, when Howard Schultz came back, you know, or shortly before he came back, he, he had this uh, uh, memo that he sent out that, that really talked about how Starbucks has lost his authenticity and that's been the main thing that he's been focused on since he uh, came back as CEO. So it's not, you know, it's not something, Laura, you can take for granted. You, you do have to manage it. You have to look at it. You have to um, uh, you know, explicitly think about what you do. Right. Okay, now um, actually, before we go into authenticity more deeply, because I think that makes good sense, I'm going to ask some of the people on the, on the line. Um, you can, I'm just going to give you a little bit of housekeeping rules. Uh, we're going to use our keyboards. So um, what I'm looking at is actually your hands being raised. So if you have a question, if you have something you want to say, then uh, just press 1 on the keyboard at any time if you have any questions about what's being said or you, you have a comment, then uh, you can just press 1 on the keyboard, okay? Is every, if that's clear, then please press 2. <laughs> it's not clear. <laughs> I, can't, uh, I can't see any response from anyone. Are you pressing 2 on the keyboard if, you under, if, uh, if you're clear about what I'm saying? Press three if you're not clear. Wonder if I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. It's funny because I don't have anybody up on the mic right now. Um, does anyone have any questions? That was a press one on the keyboard. I'll press here. Yes, it works when I press the keyboard. Um, I will take that as a, there are no questions. I think let's move on and let's talk about authenticity. Oh, there was a three. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> okay, that's great. All right, Joe, if you want to do an intro as to how uh, when an experience is commoditized, it becomes, I mean, I'm sorry, yes, how, how, how we get to authenticity based on the experience economy paradigm. Well, you know, what, uh, what Jim Gilmore, my co-author, and I noticed uh, is that whenever experiences come to the fore, issues of authenticity follow closely behind. Uh, you know, you can see that with uh, Starbucks, that people question whether it's really authentic or not. Uh, you can also see it with a uh, place like Disneyland. You know, ever since uh, July 17, 1955, if I have the date right, uh, when Disneyland opened in Anaheim, California, it's been a lightning rod for cultural critics and, and social theorists to talk about, you know, what does this say about us as a, as a country, as a people, uh, that we prefer this airsat place that's, a, you know, a, a simulacrum of a place that never existed uh, rather than, than real life, as we, as we might call it today. And so we began to, to think and research and, and look into it, and, and we realized that with every one of these changes in the very fabric of the economy comes a new consumer sensibility, the primary buying criterion by which people choose who to buy from and what to buy. Um, so when it was an agrarian economy, for example, availability was the key thing, that if you just got your products to market, then you'd find a ready market for those products. So supply and availability 
was the key business imperative of that consumer sensibility. When we shifted into an industrial economy where goods became the predominant economic offering, and particularly after Henry Ford invented the system of mass production, is when cost became the most important thing. If you wanted to find a market, you had to lower your cost through the system of mass production to expand that market. And so controlling cost became the number one business imperative. And the latter half of the 20th century, when services came to the fore, is also when something else came up that, that, that went beyond cost that companies ha now had to figure out how to do, and that, of course, was quality, that they had to improve quality in addition to controlling costs, in addition to supply and availability, and all these uh, business imperatives add on top of each other. But to meet that new consumer uh, sensibility of quality became uh, paramount. Well, now as we shift into an experience economy is, is when authenticity comes to the fore. When, when people uh, became the new consumer sensibility, uh, that um, uh, you know, people no longer want the fake from the phony. They want the real from the genuine. So the number one business imperative now is to render authenticity to manage the customer's perception of authenticity so they come to view your offerings and by extension uh, your company and the places in which you offer them as authentic, as real, as, as genuine. That that's what's going on. So how do we do that? <laughs> well, uh, it's not an easy thing uh, to be able to do because you know, the reason that it coincides with experiences is that experiences for the first time reach inside of us. You know, commodities are these arm's length things that we hardly ever touch and feel anymore. Uh, goods are physical things, you know, objects that we own. Services are activities performed on those objects like cleaning our clothes or on ourselves like cutting our hair. But uh, experiences reach inside ourselves. And, and it, is, it is a matter of perception as authenticity is. You, you're, you're managing uh, perceptions. And um, you know, and, and one of the things that I'll tell you how not to do it first, uh, what, what marketers do, and you can, you can tell that so many marketers um, understand the, the desire for authenticity because they're beginning to slap it on all their packaging and all their advertising. You know, the, I often say, you know, go into a grocery store and take a grocery cart and go up and down the aisles and pull off all of the products that have real or authentic on their packaging. We're not even going to talk about ones that imply authenticity like, like natural or simple, pure, and that, but just the words real or authentic. And your grocery cart will be full before you get down the, the end of the aisle. You know, that's not how to do it. That's not how to uh, render authenticity. You know, it's like, uh, Laurie, if the first time we met, I, I came up to you and I, and I shook your hand and I said, hi, I'm Joe Pine, and I just want you to know how authentic I am as a human being. Right. All right, what are you going to do? You're going to... You know, you're going to hold, hold your purse or your wallet and, and slowly back away. Right? So, so that's not how to do it. So one of the things we have, we've identified is these three axioms of authenticity, you know, three rules to, to do business by. And the um, uh, first one is to understand that if you are authentic, you don't have to say you're authentic. Right? If you really are authentic, you don't have to go out there saying you're authentic. And number two, if you say you're authentic, well, then you better be authentic because what have you done? You, you've put a bullseye on your back. Right? You have, uh, you've given people a reason to begin looking for anything that might detract from that, that authenticity. You know, playing the game of gotcha where you can say, aha, I knew it. And so uh, it's, it, you, know, you should follow axiom three, which is it's easier to be authentic if you don't say you're authentic. 
right? And I think that's key, right? Is is be authentic. Don't don't say you're authentic. Right. Exactly. I think that you're absolutely right, and it's it's funny because I that kind of brings me to the beginning of the book um, when you use the uh, the quote from Robert Doniger. Is it Doniger? Donniger. Well, a fictional character, so I always thought it was Donniger, but you know. <laughs> okay. You can say I can pronounce it any way I want when I live in Copenhagen, right? Right. <laughs> okay. Well, authenticity will be the buzzword of the 21st century, and what is authentic? Anything that is not devised and structured to make a profit. Anything that is not controlled by corporations. Anything that exists for its own sake, that assumes its own shape. The modern world is the corporate equivalent of a formal garden where everything is planted and arranged for effect, where nothing is untouched, where nothing is authentic. And I, I thought that was a very interesting because I had actually sent out, I think in one of the tweets, something about authenticity will be, you know, is the buzzword. And I noticed it because so many, it's, it's everywhere. When I first met you after you, right before you, the book came out and you mentioned it, like you had in this in this little uh, conversation we've been having, um, when you go to the store and you can see it, all the authentic and real and genuine and natural. And I found it very very interesting how that showed up. It showed up in everything. It was in every all kinds of marketing. So this this quote that you use, a, a how did you decide to use the quote, and then how would you um, further um, expand upon the quote. Yeah, you know, we, I, we discovered that quote, I think a review of uh, Michael Crichton's book, Timeline, which is where it comes from. And uh, it was made into a lousy movie, but it's a pretty good book. Uh, but it was in this review in the Wall Street Journal or someplace, and we thought it was so perfect because that's our viewpoint as well. Uh, I mean, is that, is that nothing really is authentic. That's why I talk about rendering. That's why I talk about perception and that. But when it, terms to, when it comes to economics, nothing is really authentic. All economic offerings are, in their core, inauthentic. And the irony, of course, of, of Doniger's character was that after he said all that, he's trying to actually uh, uh, capture the past. You know, he invents this time machine to go in the past. And he's trying to capture the past that was authentic, turn it into a, an economic offering by selling access to it, and therefore he would make it inauthentic as well. And, and the reason is, is that uh, you know, when Jim and I started looking at this, we began to read all of these uh, philosophical tomes on authenticity, you know, John Paul Sartre and, and uh, uh, Corey Anton and, and uh, Charles Taylor and Lionel Trilling and, and Heidegger even. I mean, never try and read Heidegger. So this was one of the conclusions I came to. Uh, but one of the things we discovered about these philosophers is that well, first of all, they, they rarely ever define what authenticity is. They define what it isn't and say, don't do that or, or don't be that. And so they negatively define authenticity. And when they do, we, we, we summarize it basically that if you look at everything they say about there are always three things that they point to. That uh, something is, number one, authentic if it is not of man. Right? In other words, if society tells you to do something, that's inauthentic. You know, it goes back to uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau's uh, idea of the noble savage that throws off the dictums of society, becomes his, his own man you know, by running off into the woods. Right? That's authentic, but anything that society tells you to do, that man tells you to do, is inauthentic. Secondly, something is authentic only if it is not of machine. 
where, where technology is the height of inauthenticity. You think of uh, Charlie Chaplin's movie Modern Times, you know, and how dehumanizing that, that technology is. And we see that today with voice response units, you know, where, where you call an 800 number to try and reach a person, and, and you never get a, a real person. You know, I can still remember when you didn't have to qualify the term person with the word real, right? but, but, but now you do as a result of, of technology. And then thirdly, philosophers point to the fact that something is authentic only if it is not of money. You know, we, we have the, the term for the height of inauthenticity is selling out. You know, selling out means you do something just for the money. Uh, so what you see then, if you realize these three core, core uh, definitions, that something is authentic, not of man, if it's not of machine, if it's not of money, well then you immediately come to the conclusions that all economic offerings are fake. Because there's no economic offering in the world that you can produce today that isn't of man, that isn't produced by a corporation operating under societal rules. offering is somebody offers to sell somebody something in exchange for money. So we realize that, that, that all economic offerings are fake, that to, to, to use a big word, ontologically in their very being they are inauthentic, but obviously, phenomenologically, we perceive them as real. And we know that all the time because we use the term, we talk about how that offering was authentic and that was inauthentic. This was fake and phony, that was real and genuine. And, and so that, that yields that, you know, what we call the authenticity paradox, that while it is inauthentic, we can perceive it as authentic, and that's why we use the term rendering. You know, rendering, one of its many definitions, is basically means to create out of whole cloth. In other words, to create the perception of something that, does not, that is not there. And that's what you do with authenticity. You create the perception of authenticity inside of your current and potential customers, even though, you know, ontologically, the, the offering is inauthentic. If we're doing entrepreneurial ABCs was to systematically go through the alphabet of what is important for entrepreneurs and we're going to kick it off with A is for authenticity and therefore I got my friend <laughs> Joe Pine to do this. He's doing me a very, very nice favor. Thank you, Joe. And my pleasure. trying out this new technology. Uh, Joe is the, the co-author actually of Authenticity. Uh, what consumers really want, and he has a lot of good information for us. Uh, for those of you on the call, I'm going to actually give you also a bonus. I'm going to send a follow-up presentation. Uh, uh, Joe, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, that's a deep subject, or <laughs> at least a long ago one. Um, I started off as a very as a um, consult or as a technology guy uh, with IBM and uh, uh, moved into uh, strategy and to consulting and teaching and started my own firm about, uh, uh, how long ago is that now, 14, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, uh, no, 17 years ago. And uh, ever since I've been working with companies to, to really create economic value uh, for their businesses. Uh, and that's what I focus on, and uh, you know, starting with mass customization, then shifting to the experience economy, and then to um, uh, authenticity is the latest work that my uh, partner Jim Gilmore and I have come up with. Okay, Joe, why don't we start with experience economy because authenticity grew out of that. Uh, can you just outline what, ex what the, the basic 
uh, paradigm of Experience Academy entails? Well, what, um, what the Experience Economy talks about is the very fundamental change that has go on, going, gone on in the fabric of the economy, uh, where in the beginning were commodities, things that grow in the ground, um, pull out of the ground, or raise in the ground, you know, animal, mineral, vegetable. Then you extract them out of the ground and sell them on the open marketplace. And uh, you know, the commodities were the basis of the agrarian economy that lasted for millennia. But then, thanks to the Industrial Revolution, we shifted into an, a, an industrial economy based off goods, the physical, tangible things that we touch and feel, uh, where companies use commodities as a raw material to make or manufacture those goods. In the 20th century, we shifted into a service economy where um, uh, people now use goods as the raw material to deliver a set of intangible activities on behalf of an individual person. That's what, that's what a service is. And what we've seen, though, is that uh, first goods and then services have, have both become commoditized, meaning they're treated like a commodity, where people don't care who makes them, don't care about the brand, don't care about the features. They're all pretty much the same anyway. You know, they end up caring about uh, price and only price. That's when something's been commoditized. And so what that means is that goods and services are no longer enough, that goods and services are everywhere becoming mere commodities. So it's time to move to a new level of economic value and that's what the experience is all about. And, and experiences are a distinct economic offering, as distinct from services as services are from goods. They're basically when you use goods as props and services as the stage to engage each and every person in an inherently personal way and uh, create a memory inside of them, which is the, the hallmark of the experience. So, so today, Laurie, we're basically um, entering into an experience economy where experiences are becoming the, the predominant economic offering. Right. Now, as the, in the experience economy, can you, uh, I don't know which one you want to use as you're, as you're, you're probably so tired of talking about coffee, but it's really the, <laughs> probably the best, the best example of, of breaking down the experience economy for most people. Can you right, well, show, yeah. exemplify through the, the four phases of the experience economy, how the coffee experience? Yeah, yeah coffee is a great example. Yeah, coffee is a great example that uh, travels around the world easily because people drink coffee all over the world. Um, and, and the thing I always point out is that coffee at its core is what? It's, it's a commodity. It's beans. And you know it's a commodity because you can actually look at the future price of coffee uh, in the financial newspaper every morning. And if you pay attention to it, you'll know it's going up at the moment because that's what commodities do. They go up and they go down. But if you convert it from a per ton to a per cup basis, uh, what, do you, what you get when you treat coffee as a commodity is basically two, three, four cents per cup. That's all coffee is worth. But if you take those beans and now you grind them, roast them, package them, put them on a grocery store shelf, you can get five, ten, fifteen cents per cup of coffee. If you surround, or if you if you take those roasted beans now and actually perform the service of brewing them for coffee in a vending machine, in a kiosk, a corner diner, or a bodega somewhere you can get uh, 50 cents to a buck, a buck, or I should uh, say a dollar, a dollar, a dollar fifty per cup of coffee. But if you surround the brewing of that coffee with the ambiance and theater of a Starbucks, for example, now you get two, three, four, five dollars for a cup of coffee. So you've got one basic industry, one entity, but four distinct um, levels of value, depending on what business you think you're in, a commodity, a good, a service, or an experience. Okay, now would you say that as we stage experiences, Starbucks inclusive, 
uh, Starbucks also started to lose a little bit of its market, and that was because of the issue that we're talking about today, that they well, started not connecting to their authenticity, or, or is that uh, misunderstood on my end? Well, no, I, th I mean, I, think, I don't think there's any company in the world that more explicitly manages uh, its perception of authenticity than Starbucks. You know, from the very beginning, it's done, uh, it, it, it's done that explicitly. It's actually done a very good job. But the problem is, is that ubiquity is the death knell of authenticity. And, and that's what's happened to Starbucks. Well, I mean, well, a couple other things we can point out. But they, they have become basically ubiquitous. You see them everywhere. You see them around the world. You can go into some big cities and see uh, two across the street from each other, even three and a quarter. And um, it, it basically says that, hey, these, these people are everywhere. They are now mass. It's, it's, um, you know, it's ubiquitous. And so that lessens the authenticity that they have. And people tend to say, well, what about this local coffee um, uh, house? Maybe I should go support my local coffee house in that, which is, which is a part of authenticity as well. Starbucks has also not done a good job of constantly refreshing the experience and, and doing things as everybody else has, has caught up with it. They've also done some particular things that commoditize themselves, like, like you know, putting their coffee in uh, uh, on United Airlines. I mean, any brand. You know, no brand should ever put their, 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 their brand in the hands of an airline because <laughs> they'll just screw it up. Um, so, so there has been a, a real problem with Starbucks in that regard. You know, they've also done things that specifically counteract their authenticity like going to more machine, more technology, you know, printing out little labels uh, to put on cups in some busy locations rather than asking your name and handwriting them uh, on the cups. Uh, instead of making espresso and coffee from scratch every time they use machines and they store it. And, and so the authenticity of it has lessons. That's why when, when Howard Schultz came back, you know, or shortly before he came back, he, he had this uh, uh, memo that he sent out that, that really talked about how Starbucks has lost his authenticity, and that's been the main thing that he's been focused on since he uh, came back as CEO. So it's not, you know, it's not something, Laura, you can take for granted. You, you do have to manage it. You have to look at it. You have to... Um, uh, you know, explicitly think about what you do. Right. Okay. Now, um, actually, before we go into authenticity more deeply, because I think that makes good sense, I'm going to ask some of the people on the on the line. Um, you can. I'm just going to give you a little bit of housekeeping rules. Uh, we're going to use our keyboards. So, um, what I'm looking at is actually your hands being raised. So, if you have a question, if you have something you want to say then uh, just press 1 on the keyboard at any time if you have any questions about what's being said or you, you have a comment, then uh, you can just press 1 on the keyboard, okay? Is every, if that's clear, then please press 2. <laughs> it's not clear. I can't, uh, I can't see any response from anyone. Uh, are you pressing 2 on the keyboard if, you under, if, uh, if you're clear about what I'm saying? Press 3 if you're not clear. I wonder if I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. It's funny because I don't have anybody up on the mic right now. Um, does anyone have any questions? That was a press 1 on the keyboard. Here. Yes, it works when I press the keyboard. 
Um, I will take that as a, there are no questions. I think let's move on and let's talk about authenticity. Oh, there was a three. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> okay, that's great. All right, Joe, if you want to do an intro as to how, uh, when an experience is commoditized, it becomes, I mean, I'm sorry, yes, how, how, how we get to authenticity based on the experience economy paradigm. Well, you know, what, uh, what Jim Gilmore, my co-author, and I noticed uh, is that whenever experiences come to the fore, issues of authenticity follow closely behind. Uh, you know, you can see that with uh, Starbucks, that people question whether it's really authentic or not. Uh, you can also see it with a uh, place like Disneyland. You know, ever since uh, July 17, 1955, if I have the date right, uh, when Disneyland opened in Anaheim, California, it's been a lightning rod for cultural critics and, and social theorists to talk about, you know, what does this say about us as a, as a country, as a people, uh, that we prefer this airsat place that's, a, you know, a, a simulacrum of a place that never existed uh, rather than, than real life, as we, as we might call it today. And so we began to, to think and research and, and look into it, and, and we realized that with every one of these changes in the very fabric of the economy comes a new consumer sensibility, the primary buying criterion by which people choose who to buy from and what to buy. Um, so when it was an agrarian economy, for example, availability was the key thing, that if you just got your products to market, then you'd find a ready market for those products. So supply and availability was the key business imperative of that consumer sensibility. When we shifted into an industrial economy where goods became the predominant economic offering, and particularly after Henry Ford invented the system of mass production, is when cost became the most important thing. If you wanted to find a market, you had to lower your cost through the system of mass production to expand that market. And so controlling costs became the number one business imperative. In the latter half of the 20th century, when services came to the fore, is also when something else came up that, that, that went beyond cost, that companies ha now had to figure out how to do, and that, of course, was quality, that they had to improve quality in addition to controlling costs, in addition to supply and availability, you know, all these uh, business imperatives add on top of each other, but to meet that new consumer uh, sensibility of quality became uh, paramount. Well, now as we shift into an experience economy is, is when authenticity comes to the fore, when, when people uh, became the new consumer sensibility, uh, that um, uh, you know, people no longer want the fake from the phony, they want the real from the genuine. So the number one business imperative now is to render authenticity to manage the customer's perception of authenticity so they come to view your offerings and by extension uh, your company and the places in which you offer them as authentic, as real, as, as genuine. That that's what's going on. So how do we do that? <laughs> well, uh, it's not an easy thing uh, to be able to do because you know, the reason that it coincides with experiences is that experiences for the first time reach inside of us. You know, commodities are these arm's length things that we hardly ever touch and feel anymore. Uh, goods are physical things, you know, objects that we own. Services are activities performed on those objects like cleaning our clothes or on ourselves like cutting our hair. But uh, experiences reach inside ourselves. 
and and it is it is a matter of perception as authenticity is you, you're you're managing uh, perceptions and um, you know and, and one of the things that I'll tell you how not to do it first uh, what what marketers do and you can, you can tell that so many marketers um, understand the the desire for authenticity because they're beginning to slap it on all their packaging and all their advertising you know, the, I often say, you know, go into a grocery store and take a grocery cart and go up and down the aisles and pull off all of the products that have real or authentic on their packaging. We're not even going to talk about ones that imply authenticity like, like natural or simple, pure, and that, but just the words real or authentic. And your grocery cart will be full before you get down the, the end of the aisle. You know, that's not how to do it. That's not how to uh, render authenticity. You know, it's like, uh, Laurie, if the first time we met, I, I came up to you and I, and I shook your hand and I said, hi, I'm Joe Pine, and I just want you to know how authentic I am as a human being. Right. Right, what are you going to do? <laughs> you're going you know, to hold, hold your purse or your wallet and, and slowly back away. Right? So, so that's not how to do it. So one of the things we have, we've identified is these three axioms of authenticity, you know, three rules to, to do business by. And the um, uh, first one is to understand that if you are authentic, you don't have to say you're authentic. Right? If you really are authentic, you don't have to go out there saying you're authentic. And, and number two, if you say you're authentic, well, then you better be authentic. Because what have you done? You, you've put a bullseye on your back. Right? You have, uh, you've given people a reason to begin looking for anything that might detract from that, that authenticity. You know, playing the game of gotcha, where you can say, aha, I knew it. And so uh, it's, it, you, know, you should follow axiom three, which is it's easier to be authentic if you don't say you're authentic. Right? And I think that's key, right, is, is be authentic, don't, don't say you're authentic. Right. Exactly. I think that you're absolutely right. And it's, it's funny because I, that kind of brings me to the beginning of the book um, when you use the, uh, the quote from Robert Doniger. Is it Doniger or Donniger. Well, it's a, a fictional character, so I always thought it was Donniger, but you know. <laughs> okay. You can say I can pronounce it any way I want when I live in Copenhagen, right? Right. <laughs> okay. Well, authenticity will be the buzzword of the 21st century, and what is authentic? Anything that is not devised and structured to make a profit. Anything that is not controlled by corporations. Anything that exists for its own sake, that assumes its own shape. The modern world is the corporate equivalent of a formal garden where everything is planted and arranged for effect, where nothing is untouched, where nothing is authentic. And I, I thought that was a, very interesting because I had actually sent out, I think in one of the tweets, something about authenticity will be, you know, is the buzzword. And I noticed it because so many, it's, it's everywhere. When I first met you after you, right before you, the book came out and you mentioned it, like you had in this, in this little uh, conversation we've been having, um, when you go to the store and you can see it, all the authentic and real and genuine and natural. And I found it very, very interesting how that showed up. It showed up in everything. It was in every, all kinds of marketing. So this, this quote that you used, A, a how did you decide to use the quote? And then how would you... Um, further um, expand upon the quote. Yeah, you know, we, I, we discovered that quote, I think a review of uh, Michael Crichton's book, Timeline, which is where it comes from. 
and uh, it was made into a lousy movie, but it's a pretty good book. Uh, but it was in this review in the Wall Street Journal or someplace, and we thought it was so perfect because that's our viewpoint as well. I mean, is that, is that nothing really is authentic. That's why I talk about rendering. That's why I talk about perception and that. But when, in terms to, when it comes to economics, nothing is really authentic. All economic offerings are, in their core, inauthentic. And the irony, of course, of, of Doniger's character was that after he said all that, he's trying to actually uh, uh, capture the past. You know, he invents this time machine to go in the past. And he's trying to capture the past that was authentic, turn it into a, an economic offering by selling access to it, and therefore he would make it inauthentic as well. And, and the reason is, is that uh, you know, when Jim and I started looking at this, we began to read all of these uh, philosophical tomes on authenticity, you know, John Paul Sartre and, and uh, uh, Corey Anton and, and uh, Charles Taylor and Lionel Trilling and, and Heidegger even. I mean, never try and read Heidegger. So this was one of the conclusions I came to. Uh, but one of the things we discovered about these philosophers is that, well, first of all, they, they rarely ever define what authenticity is. They define what it isn't and say, don't do that or, or don't be that. And so they negatively define authenticity. And when they do, we, we, we summarize it basically that if you look at everything they say about there are always three things that they point to. That uh, something is, number one, authentic if it is not of man. Right? In other words, if society tells you to do something, that's inauthentic. You know, it goes back to uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau's uh, idea of the noble savage that throws off the dictums of society, becomes his, his own man you know, by running off into the woods. Right? That's authentic, but anything that society tells you to do, that man tells you to do, is inauthentic. Secondly, something is authentic only if it is not of machine, you know, where, where technology is the height of inauthenticity. You think of uh, Charlie Chaplin's movie, Modern Times, you know, and how dehumanizing that, that technology is. And we see that today with voice response units, you know, where, where you call an 800 number to try and reach a person, and, and you never get a, a real person. You know, I can still remember when you didn't have to qualify the term person with the word real, right? but, but, but now you do as a result of, of technology. And then thirdly, philosophers point to the fact that something is authentic only if it is not of money. You know, we, we have the, the term for the height of inauthenticity is selling out. You know, selling out means you do something just for the money. Uh, so what you see then, if you realize these three core, core uh, definitions, that something is authentic, not of man, if it's not of machine, if it's not of money, well, then you immediately come to the conclusions that all economic offerings are fake. Because there's no economic offering in the world that you can produce today that isn't of man, that isn't produced by a corporation operating under societal rules. offering is somebody offers to sell somebody something in exchange for money. So we realize that, that, that all economic offerings are fake, that to, to, to use a big word, ontologically, in their very being, they are inauthentic. But obviously, phenomenologically, we perceive them as real. And we know that all the time because we use the term. We talk about how that offering was authentic and that was inauthentic. This was fake and phony. That was real and genuine. And, and so that, that yields that, you know, what we call the authenticity paradox, that while it is inauthentic, we can perceive it as authentic. And that's why we use the term rendering. You know, rendering, one of its many definitions, is basically means to create out of whole cloth. In other words, to create the perception of something that, does not, that is not there. 
And that's what you do with authenticity. You create the perception of authenticity inside of your current and potential customers, even though you know, ontologically the, the offering is inauthentic. 